if you look at a little bit at the literature and you know kind of what it's what it's been out about that group for a period of time, it really it started out more as a um, I don't know think of it as uh, cyber crime for hire, um, where Kilnet actually was the term for the uh, service that uh, the members of the group were offering in order. You know, in essence, if you wanted to attack a particular uh, location or website or uh, country or what have you, you know, they were kind of uh, guns for hire. And then it seems like with the war in the Ukraine, now they've, you know, taken on at least the appearance of being um, supporting that war for Russia and, in essence, now, you know, becoming uh, patriots for Russia in that war. Uh, It's interesting. They've kind of evolved a little bit. And if they weren't actively... Um, sponsored by uh, Russia, it seems like they're either tolerated or allowed or, you know, just uh, they're going to be continuing. So what happened earlier this week, it was kind of the websites that people go to maybe to schedule their flights, that kind of thing, external marketing websites for the airports. Obviously, what people are really concerned about is what's going to happen to air traffic control. Are planes going to start dropping out of the sky? I mean, obviously, that's what people are worried about. What do we have in place that you know of that's going to keep that from happening? And are we concerned that Russia can overcome those defenses? Well, we're talking about two different uh, animals here. If we're talking about Kilnet, uh, you know, the the general feeling is it's been kind of an amateurish attack. Uh, it was a uh, distributed denial of service attack. You know, nothing really uh, extreme about it. The airports uh, that were affected recovered pretty quickly. Um, it, it, uh, it was more of an annoyance than anything, and, you know, kind of the intent seemed to be more, you know, cause problems. You know, some of the, the movers and shakers that you read about have referenced that they thought, you know, they're given in, in the media that the, uh, it's been given a lot more credence or, or looked at uh, a lot more uh, than maybe it deserved. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of a concern. Are you giving this group? Uh, too much credit for what they did when what they really, in the scheme of things, did wasn't all that significant. Now, if we're talking about um, Russia, now you're talking, you know, different capability. Um, uh, you know, what's going to be possible and what their what their intent would be. You know, with with Kilnet, you know, they kind of uh, attacked these locations. You know, brought some of the services maybe down a little bit, um, and, and that was the extent of it. So, you know, we're talking, you know, apples and oranges here about capabilities and. You know how would how they would go about their work and the professionalism of of the groups, right? So obviously, uh, I guess I wasn't all that concerned. I mean, Killnet sounds like they're cyber mercenaries for hire, and we we get that. But uh, overall, kind of the overarching concern as the U.S. tension between the U.S. and Russia ratchets up, uh, they have some pretty awesome cyber capabilities. As does the United States. Certainly, the United States is number one in those capabilities with the NSA. But what is the is there an actual concern and should we be worried about it in terms of what Russia could do or would do to us from a cyber capability right now? I think, you know, you always have to have some level of concern. I think if you ignore it or or, or, laugh it off, that that's a problem. I think it's fair to say that the capabilities are obviously much greater that the um, resources of uh, the different agencies in the United States, you know, there's active cyber warfare going on, you know, daily. Uh, so it, it's something, I guess, to be concerned about. I would not be overly concerned about it, uh, but it is it is worth watching. So I understand you recently came back from a conference where 
leaders in the cybersecurity field met. What did you hear? What did you find out there that you can pass along? Oh, it was excellent. It was the Ohio Cyber Range Institute. And, you know, Ohio uh, is a maybe that you wouldn't normally consider it as a major uh, player in uh, or in becoming a major player when we talk about chip manufacturing. You know, uh, Intel's um, bringing, you know, the first uh, manufacturing facility to the United States, and that you know, to Licking County, and that's going to be fantastic. Uh, one of the, the keynote speakers was a Stephanie Domes uh, from Intel. She's their chief security technology strategist from Intel, and a lot of her speak or uh, 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 the content of her uh, presentation talked about product security and how you know one of the weaknesses. And there was a gentleman from the University of Dayton that um, also supported this. Is you know we develop or individuals develop software and security really is just not part of the uh, concern with building a product. The idea is what can we what can we make it do? How can we make it functional? How can we get this to work properly? And security is just you know not something in a lot of cases that's considered. So so she was outstanding. Um, there was a gentleman from uh, the University of Cincinnati as well, at Dr. Gregory Winger. And I listened in on his presentation, and he talked about cybersecurity as a social science. So he was focused more on individuals and groups and motivation and really looking at it, you know, uh, sort of through the eyes of a political science uh, major as when we talk about national security or nation states, why things happen and, you know, kind of how we can predict what maybe uh, is going to occur in the future. So some excellent speakers. And that's an interesting note as we wrap up now. We've got maybe about a minute left. Uh, that part about Intel and their concern about actual chip security. I think a lot of people don't recognize that, that malware or, you know, dysfunctionality that can be harmful can be built right into the hardware. People don't get that. And that's one of the main reasons why Intel was, you know, came back over to the U.S. besides the supply chain issues. Yes, and it was interesting. I was at the International HTCIA conference a couple weeks back, and I can't recall the, the gal who was a speaker, but one of the main presentations was talking about when we talk about manufacturing and uh, programmable logic controllers and a lot of that hardware that's out there, you know, not traditional PCs with screens, but computers that are out there doing work and how in a lot of cases we're talking about hardware that's, you know, um, I guess I wouldn't be overestimating to say decades older that's still in place in some locations and with all the vulnerabilities that you can imagine from something that was running, I don't know, let's say Windows 98 in a, a form of it. So you think about that and you think about how we've evolved and that those devices are still out there. And when we talk about the insecurity just, you know, in, in uh, applications or products, then drill back to, you know, kind of what you were doing and what a computer was like at that point in time, and you, you realize the vulnerabilities that exist. 